Now we enter into part B of the second speech. And this is chapters 12 through 26. And this is the this second speech is the biggest part of Deuteronomy. It goes from chapter 5 all the way through 26. But the second part of the second speech is by far the biggest chunk. It's chapters 12 through 26. And this is where he's going to go through all the laws. So remember the first speech he gave their history. And the history is how great of a king that he has been to them and why they are should be in a covenant relationship with him because he is the great and faithful king. So that's the first thing he does. Then the second speech, he lays out the reasons for why they should obey. Okay, why they should obey, what's kind of expected of them, what it kind of looks like. And then, now that he's kind of given the reasoning and the theology for that and a few instructions about what to do in the land, now he's ready to actually give them commands. Now, many of these commands in chapter 12 through 26 are repetitive from what we've seen in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. However, he's going to elaborate further on some of them, slightly change some others, because the way that you obey God on one command outside in the wilderness might be different than the way that you obey him inside the promised land, because life is completely different. So the general principle would be, I'll give you an example. So if you have a command that says, you shall speak the truth only, bear no false witness towards each other, and love each other. Well, the way that you would practice that in the 1960s and 70s and 80s and 90s would be one way as you're speaking face-to-face with people. The way that you might practice that through Facebook and Instagram and all that kind of stuff look drastically different. The same law applies, though. You're not to bear false witness. You're not to speak rudely of people, and you're to speak the truth. But the way that I might give examples, so if you were growing up in school and your teacher's talking to you about how to do that, it would look one way. When I speak to my students now, who mostly Instagram all the time, my examples of what it means to be that kind of a person are going to be drastically different. It's not that God is changing the law. It's just the way that you specifically implement that law in your life is now drastically different because life is drastically different. And so with new additions, it adds new responsibilities and new understanding. And so he's saying when you're out in the wilderness and you're all gathered together in one tight group around a tabernacle that you all have constant access to all the time and you're completely dependent upon God for everything because there is nothing in the wilderness, loving God and loving others looks this way. But then when you go into the promised land and now you're all scattered away from each other, you're not all unified geographically in one place with each other. You're now separated by miles. You can't communicate. You don't all have access to the tabernacle all all the time. The land is freely giving stuff all the time now, which means you're not completely desperate upon God every single moment of your life. And now there's all these horrible, evil Canaanites around you. Then loving God and loving others looks a little bit different there. Same laws, just a little bit different. And so that's what he's doing in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is going to go through a lot of the laws again to remind them of the laws, to kind of go deeper into what the laws should look like now that their geography and environment is changing, and even change a few of the laws in the way that you practice them 
not the essence of the law, the Ten Commandments itself, but the way that you practice it. And that's what he's going to go through. So in this section, the other thing he's doing is he's going to organize these laws according to the Ten Commandments. So where many scholars will agree that when you go through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, some of the laws feel very random. Like you went from this law to that law to that law. That just doesn't kind of make sense. And a lot of times God is just sandwiching laws in certain ways to make it easier to remember them. But in Deuteronomy, there is a rhyme and a reason. He's going to go all through all the laws in the first couple of chapters that elaborate deeper what the first commandment looks like. And then he's going to go and elaborate the second commandment, and then the third commandment, and the fourth. So Deuteronomy actually organizes all these laws according to the Ten Commandments. And so this is a very interesting study because where you think that like one commandment is limited to like just this, when you begin to read all the laws under that commandment, you're like, whoa, what does that have to do with adultery? I mean, he's telling you not to mix two seeds together in the field. What does it have to do with adultery? And you begin to realize that God's definition of these Ten Commandments are way deeper and way far more encompassing than what we realize. And so hopefully as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, you realize that we have a very narrow understanding of the Ten Commandments when you actually read them and unpack them. Now when we get to this part of Deuteronomy, you're going to realize even that was a very narrow understanding as we begin to unpack them more. And so you begin to realize that the Ten Commandments really do cover all areas of life when you begin to unpack them. So it's like the Ten Commandments are the law before you've added water and they've expanded. And now we're adding water and they're going to begin to expand on you. And so he's going to order these and we're going to go through these Ten Commandments. Now, the other thing is, because some of the, a lot of this is repetitive from Exodus and Numbers, um, I'm not going to do as much reading. Some of these we're just going to kind of summarize and elaborate the points and that kind of stuff, because a lot of these have been already detailed out. That brings us to the first section. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 31, are going to be laws elaborating on the first commandment of the, you shall have no other gods before me. So this chapter, 1 through 31, is all pertaining to you shall not worship any other gods. So chapter 12, verse 1. These are the statutes and the ordinances you must be careful to obey as long as you live in the land that Yahweh your God and your ancestors have given you to possess. You must by all means destroy all the places where the nations you are about to dispose, dispossess, worship their gods on high mountains and hills and under every leafy tree. You must tear down their altars, shatter their sacred poles, burn up their sacred asher poles and cut down the images of the gods. You must eliminate their, their very memory from the place. You must not worship Yahweh your God the way that they worship. But you must seek only the place he chooses from all your tribes to establish his name and his place of residence you must go there. Basically, he's elaborating here that not only are you not allowed to worship other gods, you are to actively destroy the existence, the image, and the practice of all worship of other gods. It's not enough to just say, well, I'm not doing it. You must actually destroy it completely. 
to, to obey God and worship Him only and not have idols means to actually stand up and destroy any evidence of that. Now remember, He is not telling them to go to other nations and put their laws upon those people and start destroying all their idols. They're not allowed to go to other people's houses, other people's backyards, other people's nations and say, we're better than you, we're going to destroy your stuff. The only people that are allowed to do this are the people in the covenant. Covenant. This is, this is a big thing that the church has kind of missed throughout the years. We so quickly judge other people for not obeying the covenant laws, not thinking they're not in the covenant. <laughs> They're not in the covenant, therefore they're not required to obey the covenant laws. And if they're outside the covenant, they're outside the covenant laws, that means that that's up to God. God has so many other things to do with them, like bring them into the covenant before he can start dealing with all that kind of stuff. Now, to a certain extent, God is going to hold them accountable for all those laws, but that's not our job. They're not our covenant people. They're not our family. They're not our people. We're not responsible for them in that judgmental, making sure all the laws are being fulfilled, kind of as responsible for them. But this land is their land, and it's their nation, and everybody in this land is their people or a people that God has commanded must be exterminated. And so therefore, they have every right, and not only that, that are expected to destroy and cleanse everything in the nation. And this is important for you to understand that God is going to be incredibly harsh because these are his people and his covenant and his land. But that does not mean that he's going to carry the same harshness over to all the people outside the covenant and outside the land. And the reason he's going to be so harsh with his people and his covenant and his land is because they made a covenant with him. And we know this. The consequence, if you make a promise to me and swear to me that you're going to do something, the consequences for you breaking that promise are going to be far more severe than somebody else who never made a promise and didn't do it. If you're in a contract with a company or a business, I don't get my phone through Verizon and I have no contract with them, there's no consequences for not having a phone through Verizon. But if I have a contract with Verizon and go outside of them to somebody else, there's going to be financial consequences because I violated my contract. And the punishment for violating a covenant is harsher than for not being in a covenant. And so what he's making very clear is, this is your land, your people, your covenant. These laws apply to you, but they don't apply to the people outside the nations. You let me deal with them. And if you do what you're supposed to, the people will want to come into your land, your covenant, and your people, and then you deal with them in that way. And so what he says is, for the people of God, the church, those who are Christ followers, not only are you not allowed to worship other gods and be loyal to other beings, but you have a responsibility to go to all the people in your church, all the people in your family, and eradicate idolatry in them. It also makes it very clear you do this in love. So I'm not saying that you have permission to be the Spanish Inquisition on people in the church either. But it does mean that it's not just enough to look at other people in the church and be like, well, they're not right and da 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 but that's not my problem because at least I'm not doing it. 
It means you have a responsibility to actively step within their life and call them out. Now, hopefully, in the light of the message of Deuteronomy, love, community unity, Deuteronomy, the coming of Jesus Christ, who demonstrated love, the idea of going to your brother and rebuking them in love, the idea of restoring your brother, the idea of what it means to die for other people, that will shape the way that you eradicate the idolatry in the church and other people's families. I'm not giving you permission to go door-to-door to all church members and start removing anything that you think is not good or get in their face about dis- disordered love. But you do have a responsibility to confront them in a loving spirit. And their problem is your problem because they're your brothers and sisters in the faith. And if their problem keeps going, it will destroy their life and your lack of stopping it shows that you don't care for them. And then eventually it might spread to the church and destroy other people's lives, which means your lack of care means that you don't care about what happens to the community. Because God's going to make it very clear, if you don't destroy every idol, just one idol becomes a temptation. And that begins to spread. And so you must remove it. I, worshiping, not worshiping other gods also means actively eliminating all worship of other gods. Verse 6, And there you must take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, and your personal offerings that you have prepared. So then the other thing he says, there's only one place that you're allowed to make all your sacrifices, and that's the place that God established called the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle is not going to permanently be in one place. It's going to move around. We don't know exactly how often it stayed in one place before it moved, and there's no rules or laws of that, but it will move around. And wherever it is, that's where you're allowed to go make sacrifices. You're not allowed to make sacrifices anywhere else than the tabernacle because it has to be regulated by the Levites. If it's not regulated by the Levites, then you'll be tempted to cut corners, add things, take away, and then God knows what you'll be doing after a long period of time of straying a little bit by a little bit. So, prepare for you. Verse 7, Both you and your families must feast there before Yahweh your God and rejoice in all the output of your labor with which he has blessed you. You must not do like we are doing today here today with everyone doing what seems best to him. For you have not yet come to the final stop and the inheritance of Yahweh your God is giving you. And when you go across the Jordan River and settle in the land, he has granted you and as inheritance, you find relief from all the enemies who surround you. You will live in safety. Remember, first, not worshiping other gods means don't worship other gods. But it also means eliminating the worship of other gods. But it also means you must actively worship Yahweh. You see, he's not saying just don't worship other gods. And then that gives you permission to not worship other gods. But then you are okay being pathetically in your relationship, pathetic in your relationship with God. So what he's saying is that command of I am God and you shall know that God is before me means not don't just worship, not worship other gods, but also means you must actively pursue me. There's a do with every don't. And if you do this, he will give you safety in the land. Verse 11, then you must come to the place that Yahweh your God chooses for his name to reside, bringing everything I'm commanding you, your burnt offerings, sacrifices, tithes, and personal offerings that you prepared, and all your choice votive offerings which you devote to him. 
You shall rejoice in the presence of Yahweh your God, along with your sons, daughters, and male and female servants, and the Levites in your village, since they have no allotment or inheritance with you. Make sure that you do not offer burnt offerings in any place you wish, for you may do so only in the place that Yahweh chooses and one of your tribal areas. There you may do everything I am commanding you. So destroy all idolatry, don't worship other gods, actively sacrifice to Yahweh, and only in one place, and one place only. Then he goes on, and he's going to change something that he previously said in Leviticus. Verse 15, On the other hand, you may slaughter the, and eat meat as you please, as you please when Yahweh your God blesses you in all the villages. Both ritually pure and impure meat may, you may eat, whether it is a gazelle or an ibex. However, you must not eat the blood and pour it out on the ground like water. So this is what he's saying. Before, they were not allowed to eat any meat that was not sacrificed to God. And they were only allowed to sacrifice to God in the tabernacle. So you want to have meat tonight? You have to go to the tabernacle. You have to sacrifice the animal to God. You have to sacrifice it in the way that God commanded in the book of Leviticus, and then you're allowed to eat it. You are not allowed to eat meat that was not sacrificed in the tabernacle. But that was easy because the tabernacle was like a couple hundred yards away from you maybe. It was very close. Everybody was around it. Yet God is now saying, now that you're in the land, the tabernacle may be 75 miles away from who you are. And it takes about 25 miles. You can walk about 25 miles in a day um, if you're booking it with all your supplies and that kind of stuff. I mean, you can do more, but that's including like supplies and servants and slow travel of animals. And so what he's saying is that might be not be, that's not possible. So God is now saying this. You still have to make all sacrifices in the tabernacle. However, now that you're in the promised land, you may eat meat without sacrificing the tabernacle. You may kill an animal for just merely the purpose of eating the meat. However, you're not allowed to make that killing of an animal a sacrifice because he already made it clear that you're not allowed to sacrifice anywhere except for the tabernacle. So it must just be merely kill the animal, clean it, and eat it. You must not think of it as a sacrifice, a sin offering, an atomar, any of that stuff, because it's only allowed to be the tabernacle. And going back to Genesis chapter 9 with the Noahic covenant, you're not allowed to drink the blood. And remember, blood, one, is not sanitary. It's got lots of health problems with it if you're just drinking it, because there's a lot of blood-borne diseases. Two, drinking the blood is often associated with obtaining the power of the animal in the ancient world and in Eastern countries to this day. And the whole point of blood is the life of the animal. You're not allowed to use it for your own purposes. That's selfishness. And the whole point of the blood is for sacrifice. And the whole point of sacrifice is because you thought you were better than somebody else and you're trying to control everything and you're repenting of your pride. But then you drink the blood to make yourself more powerful. So it completely contradicts the point of a sacrifice. And so these are the new criteria. New criteria is you're allowed to eat meat outside the tabernacle sacrifices, but it's not allowed to be sacrificed for sin. And then two, when you eat the animal and you're only killing it for eating it because you're not in the tabernacle, you're not allowed to drink the blood. 
Then he goes on and he talks in verses 20 through 28, the sanctity of blood. And he goes and he repeats the same thing in Leviticus. And it basically makes the point that Leviticus makes the point that blood is sacred. And blood is sacred because that's where the life is. Now remember, it's not the blood that atones for you. It's not covering yourself in blood that covers your sins. It's the fact that the blood is a visual, concrete, physical symbol of life because you can't see life, but you can see blood. And so the blood becomes a concrete, visual thing for us to look at. And when all the blood pours out of an animal, then it's very visually clear that the animal is no longer alive. If the blood is in the animal, then it's very visually clear that the animal is alive. And so blood does not cover your sins. It does not atone for your sins. The death of an innocent animal is what pays for your sins because something else is dying instead of you. The blood becomes a visual, concrete, physical example of that life. And so what he's saying is that's what blood is. It represents the life. And basically what he's arguing here is you're not allowed to take the life of another animal or another human and just use it for your own purposes. The life of other people is not to make your life better or more powerful. And so the life of that animal being spilled out was the tone for your sins because you were thinking that you were better and your definition of right and wrong was better than God's definition of right and wrong. And you're repenting. And so that life is now dying because you thought you could use God or other people for your own purposes. And now that you're repenting of that, something's got to die. Therefore, you're not allowed to drink the blood of an animal because then you would be using that to make your life better or more powerful, which means you're using the life of something else for your own purposes and gain. And that's why blood is sacred. That's why blood is sacred. Because it represents us using other people for other gains, and we're spilling it out to repent of that, or you abuse it and drink it and go deeper to using other people's life for your own gain. In verse 29, it says, When Yahweh your God eliminates the nations from the place where you are headed, and you dispossess them, you will settle down in their land. And after they have been destroyed from your presence, be careful not to be ensnared like they are. Do not pursue their gods and say, How do these nations serve their gods? I will do the same. You must not worship Yahweh your God the way they do. For everything that is abhorrent to them, everything he hates, they have done than worshiping their gods. Then even burn up their sons and daughters before their gods. So he says, the next thing is, not only are you supposed to eradicate idols, not only are you supposed to devote yourself to God, not only are you supposed to worship God in one place, but you are not allowed to worship God in the way that they worship God. Your worship should look different. You should have different music, different clothing. And he's already laid this out in Leviticus. Their clothing must be different. Their rituals must be different. Their music must be different. The way they conduct themselves, it must be different. You're not allowed to copy the world in the way that they worship their things, their idols, money, sex, drugs, power, fame, security, financial stability, all peace, all those things. You're not allowed to do it in the way they do it when you worship God. 